I'm going to read a portion from Psalm 78. It's a long psalm, so I won't read it all. I'll just read from verses 9 to 29. Sorry, I don't know what page it is, but you find the psalms, can if you want to. <coughs> psalm 78, verses 9 to 29. The men of Ephraim thought, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand firm like a wall. He guided them with a cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the desert and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down the rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? When he struck the rock, water gushed out, and streams flowed abundantly. Can he also give us food? Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was very angry. His fire broke out against Jacob, and his wrath rose against Israel. For they did not believe in God, or trust in his deliverance. Yet he gave a command to the skies above, and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Men ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. He let loose the east wind from the heavens, and led forth the south wind by his power. He rained down meat on them like dust, flying birds like sand on the seashore. He made them come down inside their camp, all around their tents. They ate till they had more than enough, for he had given them what they craved. And this psalm could be called Lessons from History. Asaph retells the history of the Jewish nation from the time of slavery in Egypt to David's reign. It was told over and over to each generation so that they would not forget God and make the same mistakes as their ancestors. The people of Israel had rebelled. They had become unfaithful to him and had forgotten about the wonders he had done. They put God to the test by making demands on him. They lied to him and tried to flatter him and continued to turn away from him even after he did great works on their behalf. This morning I want to look at the question they asked in uh, verse 19. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? Or can God spread a table in the wilderness? They said, No, he can't. God can't set a table in the the wilderness. Foolish question. The wilderness is where you go to die. So the answer is no. God can't set a table in the wilderness. Or if he can, he won't. So what's the difference? Thus said God's people, 
speaking against God. Now this is what happens whenever we forget what God has done. The dictionary defines the wilderness as an uncultivated, uninhabited and inhospitable region. The wilderness is a fearful place to be. Nothing but barren hills, deep valleys and sun-baked grey dirt that seems to go on forever. A man without supplies wouldn't last long in the wilderness. A million plus people wandering around would soon starve to death. There isn't enough water, there isn't enough food, the sun beats down mercilessly during the day and at night the desert grows dark, cold and dangerous. Few people can survive there for very long. So the people who are trusted in God, in their God, spoke against him openly. Now it wasn't the first time. If we followed the Jews ever since the great miracle at the Red Sea, we would have heard them, them mourning and groaning and griping and complaining. Who is Moses anyway? Why did God put him in charge? We miss Egypt. At least we had food to eat there. It's hot out here. We're tired of wandering in circles. Why are we here? And so it went on for days on end. Now in some ways the, the, the doubts were understandable. It is a fearful thing in life to be between trapezes. Now that's a metaphor uh, to describe the frightening moment when we leave the familiar for the unfamiliar. One writer described it this way. It's not so much that we're afraid of change or so in love with old ways, but it's that place in between we fear. It's like being in between trapezes. It's us when his blanket is in the dryer. There's nothing to hold on to. No, in order to make it to the promised land, we've got to leave Egypt. It would have been easier for the Jews if upon crossing the Red Sea, they had stepped directly into Canaan. But that's not how God usually works. We all have to go through some desert time to get from where we were to where God wants us to be. That desert time is like being between trapezes. On paper, it made sense for the Jews to leave Egypt. Though they had enough to eat, Pharaoh had cruelly enslaved them. Who wouldn't want to leave Egypt? But having left, they discovered that the wilderness was a tough place to live. They were between trapezes, in that frightening place where you have to let go of the past, but the future has not yet arrived. You let go before you, because you have to, but then you wait, hanging in space, hoping and praying that the other trapeze arrives in time. In that desperate place, it's easy to doubt that God knows what you were going through. But first of all, the wilderness is solitary. By definition, the wilderness is a lonely place. It's a huge, vast, trackless, trackless expanse of desert that seems to go on forever. Walk for a mile in any direction and the terrain looks the same. Climb over a hill 
and all you see is more of the same. <coughs> Even though you may actually be surrounded by people, in the wilderness you feel all alone. Now, and I uh, typed into uh, an, a website called gotquestions.org. I don't know if you used it, and I typed in the question, what does it mean to have a wilderness experience? And this was the answer. A wilderness experience is usually thought of as a tough time in which a believer endures discomfort and trials. The pleasant things of life are unable to be enjoyed, or they may be, may be absent altogether, and one feels a lack of encouragement. A wilderness experience is often a time of intensified temptation and spiritual attack. It can involve a spiritual, financial or emotional drought. In a wilderness experience, a believer may struggle simply to survive from day to day. Financial, material, physical or emotional burdens may press on him. The flesh cries out for relief. The believer is forced to wait on the Lord, find God's peace and joy in the midst of trouble, and through it all, mature in his walk with Christ. Abandoned, forgotten, discarded, we've all been there, waiting for the job interview, hoping for good news from the doctor, watching the money run out, worrying about our children, Wondering if we can hold on for another week. Trying to forgive and finding it hard. Praying for a son or daughter serving in the army. Working to patch up a broken relationship. Feeling stuck in the mud and wondering if life will ever change. Trying to rebuild our shattered dreams. In those taut, tense, fearful moments, it's easy to think... God has forgotten me. But, you know, it's much more the other way around. We are the ones who have forgotten God. Secondly, the wilderness is necessary. Notice the question of verse 19. Can God set a table in the wilderness? Now, at the table, the family comes together to share a meal. At the table... Family members share their life together. Come to the table and you will find food and drink and fellowship and laughter and encouragement. Come to the table and there you will discover you are not alone. Come to the table and there you will find others who know what you are going through and welcome you anyway. In Psalm 23 David says of the Lord, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Come to the New Testament and there you'll find the Lord's table where brothers and sisters in Christ meet together. Jesus told a story about a man hosting a great banquet with many empty seats because some who were invited decided not to come. He told his servants to go out and find anyone, anywhere, who would come to his great feast. No seat must be left empty. Luke 14 verse 21 tells us, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. 
And when there were still seats left, he sent his servant out again. Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come out, to come in, so that my house will be full. If those who had been invited first would not come, then the master would go out after the outcasts, who would never otherwise come to such a fine affair. That's how God does it. He goes after the people the world overlooks, because the beautiful people have no interest in coming to him for salvation. When we come to the Lord's table, all earthly distinctions must be set aside. We come just as we are, sinners in desperate need of the grace of God. We lay aside the things that separate us, things like titles, status, race, colour, language and culture, and we come hungry and thirsty to the table of the Lord. Jesus promised his disciples that they would eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. Luke 22 verse 30 and the final great meal is called the wedding supper of the Lamb all four gospels record the vast miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 Jesus fed the 5,000 in a remote place Mark tells us the disciples wanted to send the people away because they had no food but Jesus told them to stay he would provide the food the disciples would serve to the hungry crowd. At God's table, the food never runs out. No one ever goes away hungry. Now we all know that children love to complain about their food. They don't like spaghetti, or they don't like broccoli, and they definitely detest sprouts, or they're tired of milk, or they would rather have donuts, or why can't we have chips tonight? I'm sure many a mother has spent hours preparing a meal only to have her children ruin it with their unkind comments. So it was in the wilderness for the people of God. When God provided manna and quail so they would not starve, it wasn't enough for them. The food of Egypt seemed so much better. How boring to eat manna every day. How many ways can you serve quail? I'm not surprised by their ungratefulness, considering how often I forget the Lord, how quickly we take our blessings for granted. He led them through the Red Sea. He delivered them from Pharaoh's power. He set them free from bondage. He protected them from plagues. He led them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He gave them water from the rock. But it was not enough. No, it's never enough when you do not trust God. So they complained and said, Can God set a table in the wilderness? It looked impossible to them. So God rained down manna. Then he sent the quail. But still they doubted the Lord. So we are just like them sometimes. When we get into trouble, we cry out, Oh, God has forgotten us. No, God has not forgotten us, as I said. But we have forgotten God. No, we have no idea how much food God has prepared for us. We have no idea how much water is in the river of life. 
We act like we serve a poor God. As if our God cannot afford to help his people. We say, where is the money? And let that rule everything for us. But, as we read at the beginning of Ephesians, in Christ are hid all the riches of heaven. The wilderness shows us both our own weaknesses and how God can meet us in the most amazing ways. As long as we stay in Egypt, we'll never need manna and quail. But we won't experience the miracle-working power of God either. And thirdly, the wilderness is temporary. Amen. The wilderness is not an easy place to be. It can seem dangerous, lonely, deadly, risky, hopeless. It's easy to get lost there. We may spend a long time there. But it is also the place where we learn our limitations, face our own failures, wrestle with temptation, listen to God's word, see God work in unusual ways, learn to lean on others, find strength we didn't know we had, encounter the impossible, learn what God is like. Where is your wilderness? An unpleasant person? A difficult work situation? Learning to deal with grief? Losing your job? Your own boring life? Fear that grips your heart? A cancer that grows inside you? A father who abandoned you? A sick child? Paralyzing depression? The town you hate? The family you would rather not see? A marriage slowly dying? Can God prepare a table in a place like that? Can God meet us right where we are? Can God spread a table amid our personal wilderness? I was reminded again of Hayley Mills, if you remember, the woman I wrote about in the bulletin some weeks back. She had been rescued from a life of misery, dependent on drugs. She had been saved by the wonderful grace of God and is now working to help others in the same situation. When I recalled her story, I realised that she had found a table in the wilderness. And that's what God does. He meets us when we feel abandoned and forgotten. And he says, I will spread a table for you in this wilderness. The one John Piper has a good word at this point. He says, Oh God, must, sorry, oh, how God must become weary with how we often question his itinerary for our lives. How often we think we know better how to get from here to there. We are so much more prone to grumble with the conductor when the train turns south than we are to sit patiently and wait for lessons from the Lord. He is a very mysterious guide. We never quite know what is coming next. God would never make it in the travel industry because he is always leading his best clients into the wilderness. Can God set a table in the wilderness? Yes, he can. But we'll never know as long as we stay in Egypt. By definition, we have to be in the wilderness first. Then 
and only then can God set a table for us. Now let us remember here that Jesus himself was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he experienced great temptation from the devil, but came out of it empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now the wilderness is never easy, but God has purposes for us in the wilderness and that cannot be accomplished by staying in Egypt. Those who resolve to follow Jesus must eventually spend time in the desert with him. There, in that solitary place, they, they gain what cannot be purchased except through pain and suffering. It was necessary for Jesus to go into the wilderness and it is necessary for us also. Think of it this way. The wilderness isn't a fun place to be. We always end up feeling alone and exhausted. We may not fast for 40 days, but we will often come to the end of all human resources and we will feel like giving in and giving up. Perhaps we will wonder why God has abandoned us. Nothing will make sense. All will seem confusing. But let us not despair. Let us stand our ground and remember the promises of God and cling to the Lord. Let us not turn back to the old way of life. Let us not give in to our emotions. Let us lean on our brothers and sisters in Christ. God never leads us into the wilderness in order to destroy us. He intends the time of testing to make us stronger. Think of what we find in the desert. Victory is here. Holiness is here. Spiritual growth is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Jesus is here. Now it's far better to be in the wilderness with Jesus than in a fancy penthouse without him. Life isn't about our dreams, our agenda, our hopes, our ideas or our plans. Life is all about God's dreams, God's agenda, God's ideas and God's plans. It's his kingdom we pray him to come, not ours. Certainly the wilderness is an unpleasant place, fleshly speaking. We naturally want prosperity, health and easy going. But the same God who created the garden also created the wilderness. There will be times of trial and pressure. Our faith will be tested. But the God of grace will meet us, even in the wilderness. Amen. Missionary Amy Carmichael knew this truth. Bare heights of loneliness, she said. A wilderness whose burning winds sweep over glowing sands. What are they to him? Even there he can refresh us. Even there, even there he can renew us. So can God set a table in the wilderness? He can. He does. He will. We can count on it. Let all God's people say, Amen. Amen.